We turn in our Bibles this afternoon to the book of Psalms, reading Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, the text for the sermon, verses 17 to 21, and just reading verses 17 and 18 again. There we read, A horse is a vain hope for safety, neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. In my home congregation, I'm going through a mini-series on some Bible animals. So last week, we also here considered the ravens, and today, Lord willing, a picture here of a horse. Beloved congregation, we just sang these words. When troubles round me swell and fears and dangers throng, securely I will dwell in thy pavilion Strong. Do you always feel that way when troubles around you swell? 
When you're in darkness and troubled and you find yourself in the thick of it, it can be hard to sing those words. It can be very hard. Because so many questions maybe stare you in the face. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know how this will end. You don't know why this is happening. You don't know what you can or should be doing about whatever the situation is. Things maybe are happening so fast. Time doesn't stand still and circumstances are fluid and dynamic. You may feel stunned, paralyzed even, by how fast things are happening. And it's easy on times like that to reach for and to depend on earthly things. Human might. And then we forget God and his might. Remember Peter on the waves? The story of the Lord Jesus was walking on the water and Peter asked if he could come out to the Lord and the Lord said, come. And as Peter stepped out of the boat, he began to walk over those waves. But then suddenly the situation around him began to overwhelm him. And he looked at those waves and he felt the seriousness of his situation. He sensed the depths below him, I think. He must have wondered, how deep is it? And down Peter went. He started leaning on his own strength. For another biblical example, remember the servant of Elisha in the city of Dothan. They woke up one morning and they went up to the top of the wall. Dothan was a walled city. And they looked out over the fields, the countryside, and all around the city were horses and chariots of the enemy. They were surrounded. And the man, the servant, he felt powerless. He looked down in the city. We've got a handful of soldiers. We're finished. Our guys are no match for all these soldiers. All these horses and chariots. What was his problem? He was leaning on human strength. And Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. What about you? When you feel hopeless and helpless as troubles round you swell... How easy it is to look around you at the circumstances and to grow faint, to grow discouraged. It makes it hard to be convinced of God's great power. As you look at the situation around you, it can sometimes feel like God is silent, God is absent, or even powerless. And so we start to draw our courage from what we can see. We're so inclined to depend on visible, tangible, earthly supports. Rather than looking higher to God. But that's what the psalm before us exhorts us to do. It shows us the folly of depending on human supports and the wisdom, the effectiveness of leaning on God and his mercy. And to communicate this, the psalm uses the picture of a horse. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. So let's consider this afternoon with the Lord's help. Our theme, hope in horses or God. First, we'll see hoping in horses, and second, we'll see hoping in God. We don't know who wrote this psalm. There's no indication. It may well have been David. It really doesn't matter. 
All of Scripture is inspired by God, and we have something to learn from this. The words of our text tell us about a horse. Now, I'm sure you all know all about horses. We know how, we, how they're used for, for racing. They're used for showing. Uh, they're used for riding in the fields or in the mountains. Actually, up until about 100 years ago, everyone used them for farming. And the Amish and the Mennonites still do today. But in Bible times, horses weren't used so much for farming. They were used for war. Often we read the phrase, horses and chariots, or chariot horses. Pharaoh used horses and chariots to pursue after the children of Israel, remember. Joshua, in chapter 11, he defeated a huge army of Canaanites with horses and chariots, very many. Remember King Ahab during the famine? He wanted to save the horses alive because they were a status symbol. They were his war machines. And King Solomon before him had 40,000 stalls of horses for war. Horses were good for war because they were fearless and still are. You can train a horse to do many things. Even in the face of battle, in Job 39, it talks about the, the Lord asks Job, hast thou given the horse strength? He says how he, he's pawing in the valley. He's rejoicing in his great strength. He goes on to meet the armed men and he mocks, not, he mocks at fear and he's not afraid. The glittering spear, the shield, the quiver rattles. The horse doesn't care. He just he swallows the ground with fierceness and rage. He smells the battle afar off. Horses are big. They're strong. They're fast. If you want to lean on something, if you want to depend on something, it says, think of a horse. It's a picture, if you will, of that which you can lean on and depend on in this world. But our text says the opposite. Our text says that a horse is actually a vain or a false hope. Literally, the word means a deceit, a lie. And safety here refers to help or deliverance or salvation. So our text is saying to us that a horse is a lie if you depend on it for help or deliverance. It will let you down. It will disappoint you. This verse takes the picture of a horse which people in those days used for protection and safety and it teaches us this truth. This is the, this is the kind of the summation of it. Whatever in the world you depend on for safety and protection will disappoint you. What is that for you today? What do you turn to? What do you depend on in your life to be safe? Your health? Your health doesn't deliver. It deceives. We are so frail. We are so weak. We are like a vapor, a breath, the Bible says. Lord, make me to know mine end, Psalm 39, verse 4, and the measure of my days what it is, that I may know how frail I am. We are weak. We can't depend on our, our health or our strength to, to carry us and to be our final thing we depend on. Your doctor or your health care provider or your medicine are not your ultimate hope. 
That's what Asa did. He, he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians, we read. His hope, his expectation was in the doctors. But that's not where our hope lies. What about your money? Well, money doesn't deliver. It also deceives. Jesus warns, in fact, about the deceitfulness of riches. Riches that choke. Lottery winners often end up on the streets after some years because money isn't the answer. Money is no firm foundation. Proverbs says that riches make themselves wings and fly away as an eagle to heaven. They slip between your fingers. They're a vain hope too for us. What about the horse of your possessions? Possessions don't deliver either. They too deceive. You might think, well, at least if things go bad, I've got my things, I'll have my stuff that I can use, I can live off my inheritance maybe that's coming my way. But Paul reminds Timothy that we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we're going to take nothing out. So those things also don't do anything for you. Maybe your hope is in others around you or the effectiveness of an organized government or the constitution or the charter. You set your hope in things like that. And this text calls that kind of thing deceitful. You set your hope on fellow man. Oh, what a blessing it is to have people in your life, in your family, in your church family, in broader society. People that do much good and that God gives and God uses, but He doesn't give them to us so that we would depend on them. God is very serious about that. He says, Cursed be the man that trusts in man and makes flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. When you depart from the Lord and you depend depend in man, lean on man, man will disappoint you. It's foolishness. What about your own wisdom? Maybe you think, well, I can put all my wisdom to work and, and get this figured out by my craftiness. Will disappoint yourself. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Over and over, the Bible repeats the principle in our text that if we lean on other things, they're a lie. They'll disappoint. Now, we need to say something here about these things because our text is not denying the use of God's good gifts. God gives us legitimate means, and we may and should use legitimate means. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you depending on them? Are they things that you lean on? What in your life is the modern-day horse of our text? Whatever it is, if it's not God, then it's a deceiving mirage. And it can't deliver you. It can't help you. And, and the text underscores this. It says it in the second half of verse 17. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Literally, it means he shall not cause any to escape by his great strength or ability, the horse. And a horse was often used in war to, to make a getaway, to escape. Ben Hadad, the Syrian king, he escaped from the battle on a horse. And this happened many times. 
But the text is saying if you lean on things that you think can help you through and, and, and escape and, and deliver you in this life that are like that horse, they're untrustworthy. Strong as they may seem, they'll disappoint. Well, there's only one hope to only one to hope in, and that's our second thought, hoping in God. Verse 18 begins with that word, behold. That's a stop word. That's a word that makes us sit up and pay attention. Behold. Pay attention. Something very important is about to be spoken. Behold. And then it directs us to the Lord. Specifically, the eye of the Lord. What does that mean? Is this the Lord's eye of scrutiny? His piercing eye that uncovers all things in this world, that also sees you in your sins and your shortcomings? Like in verse 13, where it says the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from all the place, from the place of his dwelling. He looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He sees them. He considers, verse 15, all their works. Is this his scrutiny? No. It's not. This is his eye of understanding, his eye of knowing what you are going through. His eye of watching over you, his eye of protection. With that eye upon you, you're safe. The safest place to be, congregation, is under God's watchful eye to be in his field of view, to be in his focus. Then nothing can and will befall you. And the question then maybe is, how do you get that? Well, we learn who it is that the eye of the Lord is upon. It's upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Two things here, fear and hope. When we think of fear and hope, we might think these two things are Opposites. They're, they're not really, they don't belong together. But in fact, they do. They're actually two sides of the same coin. To fear God, on the one hand, means this. It means to have profound respect towards him as God. Reverence. It includes a sense of worship, honor, a recognition of the majesty of God in his greatness. Like Nehemiah in his prayer, he saw God as the great and terrible God. Or Isaiah, who saw that vision of God in Isaiah 6, and he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. It's when you recognize God's power, his holiness, and his glory. That is our God. The fear of the Lord. You recognize all that he is in his greatness. And this fear is held in love for all his people. 
There's no love in the unbeliever who's afraid of God, but the Christian who fears the Lord mingles that fear with love. That awe and that respect and that majesty is mixed with, with love. It's, it's actually the, the wonderful comfort that this God is my God in Jesus Christ. Yes, this fear, this reverence, this respect for God brings comfort and love. The comfort that He's ever present with me in all my difficulties. That He's the one who says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake you. What a comfort. Maybe for you too, as the waves of perplexity and darkness and uncertainty and unsettledness come at you from every side when your world is in turmoil for whatever reason. The fear of the Lord is a comfort. His eyes upon me. He protects me. It's like when the disciples were toiling in the storm. Remember, they were down in the water. He was up on the mount, but it says there, He saw them. His eye was on them. That's the one half, fear. But the, the second half of the coin, the second side is what that fear leads to, that leads to an expectation of His mercy, hope, solid hope in God's mercy. The Lord's eye is upon them that fear Him and on them that hope in His mercy. And this is the earnest expectation that this God whom I fear will for Jesus' sake pour out His mercy on me. That's what you need in times of darkness and difficulty. When you're depressed, when you're anxious, when you're down. You don't need those horses, whatever it may be in your life that you lean on. They're vain. They're a lie. At best, they're a temporary crutch. You need God's mercy. You need His loving kindness, His covenant faithful love. That's the word here. It's a very important word in the Old Testament. God's covenant love. His never-failing loyalty to you through His covenant in Jesus Christ, His faithfulness. The mercy of God is the great bestowment of the infinite resources of the divine majesty around you. It's like Elisha there at Dothan. What did he say to his servant? He said, Lord, open his eyes. Because they that are with us are more than they that are with them. More in number. And the Lord opens that servant's eyes and he saw the hills round about the city full of chariots and horses of fire. Then think of Jesus in Pilate's court. What does Jesus say at one point to Pilate? He says, don't you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently, right now, give me more than 60,000 angels. It looked like Christ's darkest hour. But Jesus says, I could ask for 60,000 angels right now. 
a description of the limitless power of God, more than they that are with them. And if God before us, who can be against us? And even when things don't seem to go good, it's still true, congregation. You know, our, our problem is that we so easily don't hope in God's mercy, but we trust in horses. We can have a misplaced hope in princes and horses that disappoint and that will let you down. You can hope in the strength of the economy or in political change or in public opinion shifting or human courts or other legal things. But here it says hope in the mercy of God. And the promise is that if our confidence is in him, we won't be disappointed. You know what it was that Daniel called his friends together for, not to muster up a movement in Babylon or to appeal to Babylon's courts, but to pray to God and to desire mercies of the God of heaven. Sometimes we can feel like God is far away. But the reality is that his mercies are the only thing worth hoping for a congregation. His mercies do great things. We read verse 19 that he will deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Think of a famine. Try to picture a famine. We don't know what a famine truly is, congregation. But when you have no food and the crops keep failing, and for miles and miles there are only hungry people that's pretty disheartening the picture here is when everything's against you and trials are multiplying the church is assaulted and you're fainting from personal trials hope in his mercy because he will deliver and keep alive, even in famine. Think of Elijah being fed by ravens, hoping in God. When you hope in God, then his eye will be upon you. And then you have everything. You even have joy. Sometimes joy seems like the furthest thing from a time of trial. But look at verse 21. For our heart shall rejoice in him. Why? Because of hoping in his mercy. Because it says we've trusted in his holy name. The result, the result of hoping in his mercy and fearing him is joy. You know the joy that you might get from this or that horse or earthly support is a fleeting joy. It's actually time limited to the rise of the next trial, the next worry. But the joy of hoping in God's mercy is timeless. It's overarching joy. It's higher joy. This is a joy that fuels you. Nehemiah said it, the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
It's the joy of heaven to come, the joy of knowing that whatever the trials are and the darkness that he may send you, he will carry you through it all. He'll be with you through it all. His hope for mercies will come and will support you. And in the end, heaven will await you, child of God. And that leads to the prayer of verse 22. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Is that your prayer? Do you hope in the mercy of the Lord? You know, you can expect that even confidently, child of God, because of Christ. Because God will honor His Son who came to live and to die to deliver you. Paul says that with God, hope makes not ashamed. He won't let you down. In fact, you're called to put on, Christian warrior, a helmet. For a helmet, the hope of salvation. You're called to say with the psalmist, some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And maybe you're here this afternoon and, and you don't have this confession. You're still depending on lying horses. Your hopes are set on the things of this world. Well, this text teaches you there's no deliverance in them. There's no help in them. There's no hope in them. There's nothing there. Even though they seem to be so strong. Put your trust in the Lord. Confess your sin to the Lord. Confess your lack of repentance and faith to the Lord. Ask the Lord to help you. For your life here on earth. For the life to come. Because the same Jesus who knew he had the power of 60,000 angels at his disposal. And yes, he says more than 60,000. He denied himself the use of that power and instead went on to give his life for sinners. Entering into the darkest of tribulation we cannot even enter into so that you and I can be offered endless mercy this afternoon. Now this text convinced you to stop setting your hope in human strength, in earthly things, those horses to seek it in Him. Him who gives eternal deliverance from your sins, who gives full salvation, who supplies every need in this life and the next, saying, let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in Thee. Amen.